sure haven't met many girls like you. No, you haven't met any girls like me. Look up. Stars. See that one? First one I laid my eyes on. And the light that's leaving that star right now will take a billion years to get down here. You want to know why you've never met a girl like me before? Yeah, why? Because I'll still be here when the light from that star gets down here to Earth. It's in a billion years. That sounds like fun. It is. I'd like to be there, too. Maybe. Who knows? From the darkest corners of Chicago, this is the unenthusiastic critic's Halloween movie marathon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. Joining me today, and I sure haven't met any girls like her, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. On this week's episode, Nakia and I undertake a five-week ordeal of bloodsuckers, brain eaters, flesh renders, and face peelers. As we begin the Unenthusiastic Critics' fifth annual Halloween movie marathon. Each week in October, we'll be discussing at least one horror movie, and we're beginning this week with Catherine Bigelow's vampire biker western, Near Dark, from 1987. Nakia, this is the season when long, rotting things come back to life and crawl out of the grave, and that feels appropriate. Because I suspect some of our longtime listeners had assumed the podcast, if not we ourselves, had died. We we haven't done an episode in nearly a year. <laughs> so rumors of our death were exaggerated, but probably justified. Uh, have, have you missed it? No, I haven't. Not at all. I, I think you have, secretly. <laughs> but, you know, just like any good horror monster... You may think we're dead, but we just keep coming back for more. Uh, yeah, what can we say? Uh, we got busy with some other stuff. <laughs> You're always busy with your job. Mm-hmm. I started a new job. I took some time off from both the podcast and writing reviews to work on a novel and some other projects. So yeah, basically we've been on hiatus for almost a year. And we we keep talking about bringing the podcast back, but we somehow never quite got around to it before now. You keep using the word we. Well, we, yes, we. No. You and I are a team. No. This is our project. we. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then a few weeks ago, I realized we had entered the autumnal season. Oh, God. And uh, October was creeping closer. And, you know, we have taken long sabbaticals before... <laughs> But we have never, since we started the podcast, missed doing the annual horror marathon. Hmm. Uh, so it is a sacred tradition. Sacred, is it? Yes, that's. I'm using the word sacred, and it, it just felt wrong to skip it. You know, if our listeners can count on nothing else, and clearly with us, they can, they count, can count on, on nothing, nothing, nothing else. Nothing. They at least know that 
every October, I'm going to con you into watching some scary movies that you have no desire to watch. Well, con implies that I'm getting something, though, and that you have you somehow... No, not necessarily, I, I don't guess. think. Okay. I mean, or, or I guess that it involved some level of, I don't know, like, subterfuge. And <laughs> when it really was just like, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. Well, okay, so how do you explain the fact that you keep coming back to do this? I mean, but... Uh, you never wanted to do it. The whole premise of the show is I don't is that you this. never wanted to do it. So, you know, sometimes I say, oh, I make you watch these. I can't make you do anything. Sure. If I could, you know, my life would be so much easier. But wow. no, I can't. I can't make you do anything. So why do you keep coming back? I don't know. That's an excellent question that I should probably speak to a therapist about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Not sure. I mean, so... Yeah, I don't. I have no answer to that. <laughs> okay, I don't actually want you to look at that too closely. No, I'm definitely gonna. I'm, I'm I, need okay to, I need to investigate your... <laughs> this a bit. I need to do some thinking. I, I don't think you do. Do some thinking on that. I don't think you do. Sometimes <laughs> it's better to not mm. not examine things too closely. Some sort of Stockholm syndrome or something. <laughs> not sure. Okay. Anyway, however it happened, here we are again. Yes. Uh, however, we are doing something a little different this year. The normal format of this show, just in case someone new has accidentally found us and is joining us for the first time, is that we watch classic or classic, in air quotes, movies that I love that you have never seen. Mm -hmm. That's the basic premise for the show. Yeah. Um, You usually shit all over it. Yeah. I usually offer a pathetically weak defense of it. Yep. And a good time is had by all. And everybody walks away agreeing with me. Yes. <laughs> that's that's the f- standard formula. And I assume that we will get back to that formula sometime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for this year's Halloween Marathon, we're going to try something new. We are going to be watching five movies that neither of us has ever seen. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of reasons we decided to do it this way this year. First, and this is admittedly the worst reason, it was kind of a last-minute decision (laughs) to do it at all this year, and if we're both going into the movies cold, I don't have to do as much preparation as I normally do. So, laziness on your part. Laziness on my part is is a factor. It's not the, the only factor, but it's a factor. Okay. Secondly, there is the uncomfortable truth that after five years of the podcast and what? five, six, seven years of doing this on our blog before that, we have really done a lot of the low-hanging fruit when it comes to horror movies. Mm-hmm. You had seen a lot of the big standard horror movies before I ever met you. Yes. And then since we've been doing this, we've watched, I want to say, 40 or 50 horror movies mm-hmm. between the blog and the podcast. That's That's, that's a lot of horror movies. Yeah. It's been getting, admittedly, harder and harder each year to put together lists of well-known movies that I love that you have never seen. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. I'm not out yet. Sure. I, I I could put together at least a couple more years of this uh-huh. with, with some, some real gems. But this year, I thought we'd do something different. Every year when I sit down to make the list for this marathon, I go through all the countless internet listicles of the greatest horror movies ever made, the scariest movies ever made, etc., etc. And there are always a bunch of movies on those lists that I have never seen. Mm -hmm. 
for whatever reason. So this year I got enamored of the idea of just, let's watch a bunch of those, fill in some gaps in my own cinematic education, and, you know, drag you along for the ride. Plus, and this is probably the most important factor in this decision, this way you can't blame me if you hate the movie. I can blame you for making me participate in this exercise. I wouldn't be watching the movie were it not for this, so I can still blame you. There are always ways (laughs) to bring the blame to your door. That's not a problem. There are always ways to, you can always find ways. You can always find all blame roads (laughs) lead back to Michael. That's harsh, but fair. (laughs) All right, so let's talk briefly about this movie we're going to watch. Do you know anything about Near Dark? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay. I don't know much more about it because, as mentioned, I have never seen it. Uh, And in fact, Collider calls this the greatest vampire movie you may have never seen. Okay. It pretty much bombed when it came out, not making back even its relatively meager $5 million budget. I think it had the misfortune to open just a few months after the at least superficially similar The Lost Boys, (laughs) which we watched during this marathon a couple Mm -hmm. years ago. And despite pretty decent reviews, it just it just didn't make any kind of splash. The critical consensus on this movie has grown in the decades since, and it's become a real cult classic, but it has been notoriously hard to watch. It's playing as of today. It's playing this month on the Criterion channel, and that's one of the reasons we are going to take the opportunity to watch it now. This is the breakout feature for director Catherine Bigelow. Her first solo directing gig made a full 20 years before her glass ceiling breaking Academy Award for Best Director for The Hurt Locker. And only a few years before a movie you and I watched for the podcast a few years ago, Point Break. And come to think of it, that was another movie that neither of us had seen at the time. Uh, but we had fun with that one. Yes. You you were, were quite a fan, as I recall. Well, I mean, it's Keanu, and I have a deep and abiding love for Keanu. And then it was Patrick, and I love Patrick as well. Uh, so, yeah. And it was kind of a homoerotic thing going on between the two of them. I mean, if you want to bring that and... to it, sure. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it was like Buddhist anti-capitalist bank robbers, which I appreciate. Yeah. Well, this is the thing with, with Bigelow, and that's it's one of the reasons I'm excited to watch this movie. I mean, you know, the story on her is that she's a woman that does these very masculine mm. action movies, but they're, they're subversive in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. And by reputation, at least, this movie is no different. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited to watch it. Um, I, I did look at a few reviews. Writing in Slate, Tammy Oler calls Near Dark. One of the best American vampire films ever made, an essential horror rewatch for our Trumpian times, Mm. and a genre film of surprising nuance. Nick Shager, counting down the 50 best horror movies of the 80s for Pace Magazine, puts Near Dark at number 11, ahead of such classics as The Fly, Gremlins, Poltergeist, Evil Dead, and, if you can believe it, even ahead of Reanimator and Sleepaway Camp. (laughs) personal favorites of yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I it, I think we have something to look forward to here. Okay. Okay, so normally this is the place where I ask you, you know, what are you expecting? Blah, blah, blah. I do a lot of boring background on the movie. <laughs> I don't have any of that this week. We're going to just go watch the movie and we're okay. going to, you know, process it together. So when we get back, Mickey and I will discuss Near Dark. I'm going to 
separate your head from your shoulders. Do it fast. All right. The time's wrong. Woo! No! Miles would kill me then, too. Caleb Colton no longer belongs to our world. We give him a week to see if we can call him one of us. He belongs to hers. But you have to learn to kill. He belongs to theirs. I don't want to kill. He makes a kill tonight. And they all belong to the night. It's three hours short for a bus to get home. You help me out. What are you on? Believe me, I told you. Just don't think of it as killing. Amen. Amen. Don't think at all. It's just something that you do night after night. It's only ever a question of time. Nervous. I would be too if I were you. Near dark. Be your boys falling in with control. Check out time. Yourself some time, son. God damn, this is my family. Let him go. Near dark. Pray for daylight. The night has its price. And we're back. <laughs> During the break, Nikki and I watched Near Dark. And we have not compared notes on this after the viewing. We have not talked about what we thought of the movie at all with each other. We're going to do this like the old Siskel and Ebert show and just, you know, yell at each other on the air here if we disagree. Am I Siskel or Ebert? Which would you prefer to be? I mean, Ebert, obviously. Mm-mm. Sorry, that's the wrong one. Siskel. Why Siskel? Well, because he married that fabulous black woman. That was Ebert. Was that Ebert? Okay, scratch this whole part. (laughs) Okay, start over. No. So, Nakia, what did you think of Near Dark? Um. Oh, it's never good when it starts with It's never good when I start with. So, I didn't hate it. Okay. But I didn't love it. Okay. It was. Fine, is what you're going to (laughs) say. It was fine. Um. Which may, for the purposes of this podcast, be like the worst thing you can say. It may be, because, yeah, you either want me to really, really love something or really, really hate something for the purposes of, like, anyone listening. Okay. And my being entertaining. So, this is our first episode back for a while. And I'm just like, it's it's going to be a dud, isn't it? It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought that there were some things, some things that I really liked about it. I think I may have liked it visually more than I liked the actual story. Sure. And then the ending, I thought, was a bummer. Okay, we'll get to that, I'm um, sure. Yeah, it's not. It, I would. This wouldn't be one of my favorite vampire films. Hmm. Okay. So I liked it more than you did, mm-hmm. apparently. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is because I, I definitely, as a fifty-year-old <laughs> adult. I I could pick out flaws in this movie, particularly on a script level. Yes. But, I mean, this was, you know, this came out 87, not something I saw. I don't think I'd even heard of it then. Mm -hmm. But to me, watching this was like rediscovering a missing piece of that era. 
And I could cast my mind back to being the teenage boy who would have been really into this movie. Okay. This would have fit right in with, like, me and my friends, our late night VHS rental movie thons. I can see that. You know, you watch The Terminator, and then you watch Near Dark. Sure. And it they would have gone together perfectly. Okay. I think there are some awesome sequences in this yes. movie. Yes, yes. That I very much appreciated on a on a visceral level. Okay. You felt it in your balls sort of thing. I felt it in my balls. Okay. All right. If you want to put it that way. I sure. mean, how else would I put it, really? Like, I feel like there's infinite other ways no. you could put no, that. No, just that one way, really. <laughs> okay. So what did you like about it? You said, you, you said there were parts of it you liked. Yes. So I really liked... I guess this would be the sort of direction and cinematography of it. Mm-hmm. I think there are some films where you could taste, feel, smell the environment. Mm-hmm. And there were some scenes in this movie where it was like that. So when, and you know, like anyone who's been listening to this, to this podcast for any number of episodes knows that I never remember anyone's name. <laughs> so the main cowboy dude. Yes, this is Adrian Pazder's uh, Caleb. Yes. Cowboy Caleb. Yes. So, Cowboy Caleb, we see him. He's hanging out with his Mensa friends. And... (laughs) What? No, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. I'm going to stop you right there. Here's the thing. I'm about to be super, like, classist and assholey through this Okay, so it's going to get worse? It's going to get worse. Then calling the rednecks Part of my problem with this is, like, I don't enjoy these people. (laughs) Okay. Okay, I see where this is going. So, Caleb spots the character's May. Yes, Jenny Wright. Down the road, and she is, like, perfect, quintessential, like, white cowboy dream, Mm -hmm. pixie-cut wave. She has, like, the red and white little top on and the tight jeans that are perfectly distressed with an ice cream cone in hand that she's not quite eating, which is an important (laughs) point. Um, But the way that she's sort of framed... In the shot, like, it's just perfection. Like, you can see she's clearly that, right? Like, she is clearly object that is trying to attract. And it's just this, it's nighttime, and the ice cream cone just looks so blindingly white in the middle of, it's Mm -hmm. it's such an, it's it's just a really interesting shot. And so he goes over and is obviously, like, trying to talk to her and things. So that shot, I really loved. Then, after Caleb has been kidnapped by the... Confederate redneck <laughs> vampire crew. His father and his little sister go to the police station and like, okay, well, can you help us find him? And the police station is perfectly like it reminded me a lot of um, Blood Simple. A lot. Of, there's a lot of things in this movie that, that reminded like, me of Blood Simple. Sort of blindingly bright daylight, but it's also clouded with like cigarette smoke and just the dust in the air Mm -hmm. and the way that the light is coming in so that shot really loved and then there's a shot towards the end of the film where the police have the confederate redneck vampire crew (laughs) okay you could just call them the vampires probably probably not though hold up in a hotel room and there's this big shootout and so inside the hotel room it's all blacked out and dark the police are outside in the broad daylight, and so as they're shooting into the hotel that, room, that, like these that, beams of light coming yes. in. Like that, so there were some scenes like that where I was like, that's, that's a beautiful shot. 
And it just went And up. if nothing else about this movie had won me over, I think that scene that in the motel room is great. would have. It's a great scene. And it is, like, I guarantee you that they watched Blood Simple before mm-hmm. they made this movie. Because mm-hmm. if you remember, that same effect is at the end of Blood Simple. It's when M. Emmett Walsh has his hand nailed yes. to the windowsill. Yeah. And then he's shooting, shooting through, through the, the wall, wall at yeah. her and those beams of light are coming through. Yeah. So they did that here only because they're vampires. Those beams of light are like laser beams. Yes. yes. It's brilliant. It's really, really good. Yeah. Um, Okay. So let's let's back up a little bit because it seems like maybe you have something to say about the found (laughs) family with whom Caleb winds up here. Sure. This is a very simple story. It's boy meets girl. Girl bites boy. Girl introduces boy. To her family. Mm-hmm. Except, let's also talk about how he got bit. <laughs> I, I had a feeling we were going to. She said, she was basically like, leave me the fuck alone for a, 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 a good deal of it. Right. We, yeah. And then she's like, okay, take me home. And then screaming, she was, take me home. She was flirty with him. She was flirty. Then she realized the sun's coming up like, is what I happened I need to there. go home And she's now. like, I need to go home right now. And then he's like, drops his keys down his shirt and is like... <laughs> If you give me a kiss, I'll take you home. You deserve to die, sir. So I have no... That part was a little rapey, especially when you know she's going to die if she doesn't get home. No empathy for him whatsoever because it's like, okay, you had... Again, red flag, she was not eating that ice cream cone. (laughs) Rule number one when you're dating, make sure that they swallow their food. If they have not swallowed their food, something's wrong. What? Okay. Rule number two. The first words out of her mouth were, I think it was dying, and it was something else weird. Bite. Because he was like, can I get a bite of the ice cream? She's like, bite. And then he was like, I'm dying for a look at that ice cream. She's like, dying. <laughs> red flag, red flag. Listen to what they're red saying. Red flag. <laughs> Number three. <clears throat> she spends the whole time talking about like how the night is super bright, and then she says something about the fact that you know that it takes the light from a star like a billion years to reach the yeah. Earth. And she's like, I will still be I'll here. I'll still be here when that light when gets that here. Light. And he's <laughs> all like, oh, that's super deep and cute. I was like, no, no. Well, he's trying to get laid. You listen. You pretend everything's deep in that situation. This is how your dick gets you in trouble. (laughs) You're not listening with your ears. Okay, but and this is the point I raise every time we watch these horror movies. You assume that he already knows he's in a horror movie and needs to be looking out for this. Do you need this. to know that you're in a horror movie, though? To be like, like that's just like weird ass behavior, don't you? When you're talking to someone, again, you're just like, yes, that's weird. but again, he's trying to get laid. So, but what I'm saying is, you don't immediately associate that with is, vampire. I want to get laid. You overlook a lot of shit that's going to get you either robbed or killed. <laughs> or so, so I'm just saying, listen with the ears, not not with the dick. Sound advice for all our listeners, I think. She didn't eat the ice cream. (laughs) She had a whole ass, beautiful looking vanilla ice cream. She didn't eat it. That's all I'm saying. So, yeah. So then he's basically like, okay, well, you're going to have to kiss me to get me to take you home. And she instead bites him and then like runs away. Well, she kisses him first. That is a long, lingering kiss. There's a lot of like make out session there. And then she, she ends up biting him and then she runs away. Why was I talking about that? (laughs) <laughs> I don't ever know why you're talking about anything. <laughs> what was the question? I was asking you to talk about the, the family vampire. So family yes, here. okay. So yes. he's bitten. He doesn't know what's going on. He sort of stumbling, Start, starts feeling a little sickly, stumbling through the night like a junkie, and is just like, I can't. Like, I don't feel well. Something's wrong. He stumbles upon. He's he's trying to get home, walking across this like dust bowl territory, which mm-hmm. is like it's, it's a very cool thing. Yeah, and. 
he's close enough to his like home farm that his father and, and his little sister see him and she's like, hey, he doesn't look so good. At no point are they like running towards him, which I thought you would do when you see somebody struggling like that. But anyway. Okay, so look, hold on. Let me stop there. Okay. Because this is the point where I will admit I was confused for about half the movie. Okay. I didn't realize that was his father and sister. Oh, okay. I thought those were like neighbors or something. Yeah. I mean, I don't For one thing, I think it seemed like he was too old to live at home, so I wasn't thinking that way. Sure, yeah. I think he just looked old. So I thought the little girl was just like, oh, that's Caleb. Yeah. And I, and then when they started searching all over the state for him, I was like, why are they so invested <laughs> in finding this guy? That's his family. <laughs> and at no point did anyone say that's... Sure. I get that. My son or that's, you know, I, but yeah. maybe that's just me. <laughs> I think I just, he's supposed to be like 16 or 18, somewhere in there. And he just looks like okay. life has rode him hard. All right. Which I think just happens when you're in the Dust Bowl. Um... <laughs> So the, the a Winnebago sort of pulls up and it's full of the Confederate redneck vampires. Okay, again, you don't have to use their full. And they snatch him into the Winnebago and take off. Yeah. Um, sort of abducting him essentially. And their initial response was, "Hey, why did you? You know, we don't need another mouth to have to feed. So either he needs to become a vampire and be effective at that really right. quickly." <laughs> Or we're going to he needs to him. get with the program. Or he gots to go. Or he's gots to go. And so May is deeply in love with this dude who was very, again, rapey with her. <laughs> um, and so she's like, no, no, just give me a couple days and he will learn how to hunt and he will be a good vampire and it'll be all good. So let's let's talk about the family here. Okay. It's a beautiful family. It is a beautiful. It's a, a story of found family. Here. Is it? Yeah. The family you choose mm-hmm. versus your blood family. Right. Those stiffs back on the Dust Bowl firm. So you got the dad, Jesse. Yes, this is Lance Hendrickson. With a very long rat tail. First of all, we should point out, half the cast of this movie came straight off the set of Aliens, Aliens which yeah. came out the year before. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know if uh, Bigelow was already dating James Cameron at this point, but that's there was a connection there. But yes, so the great Lance Hendrickson as Jesse, the dad. With a long rat tail. Yeah. And a Confederate flag on his jacket. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> never escape it can we we can no um and then we have diamondback diamondback is the mom figure this is uh jeanette goldstein so this retroactively made me realize is she in brown face in aliens you know i wondered about that too because i had not realized so she also plays i don't know if you remember she's the mom or stepmom in terminator 2 i don't remember that the only reason I remember is because there's a scene where the the terminate this is the liquid metal terminator mm-hmm. impersonates her on the phone mm-hmm. talking to the boy, and that's it's after he's already killed her, or I think it's actually I think he kills her during that conversation even. But I had not realized that was the same actress as Vasquez in Aliens. So okay, and then she turns up in this as a white woman. <laughs> You added, man, you added because so much extra W. She was to super that. brown in Aliens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was. She was brown. Hispanic. Right. Which she I, was Latina. I do not think that she is. This I do not so know. So that may have, I may now be retroactively pissed off at Aliens now. Because, okay, like, why do we need to. That seems fair. Do that. Because I kept saying, I know I've seen her before. I know I've seen her before. Why can't I place her? Because she was a fucking different race <laughs> the last time you saw her. Perhaps. That may that may have something to do with your confusion. So Diamondback, <laughs> as so those are sort of the parental figures, and then you have Severin. 
Yes. Played by Bill Paxton. The great, the late Having great Bill Paxton. the best fucking oh my God, time he was of having... anyone in the movie. And he, in every movie he's in, he looks like he's having fun, but this had to be a high point. He read the script and was like, I'm in. Like, I got it. Say less. Let's go. And if nothing else, I appreciate he was, okay, we're going to do, we're doing this. Yeah, we're going to do no, it. No, he was committed so, to this part. Fully enjoyed Bill Paxton. <laughs> and I don't know what else you do with a role like that. You have to play it all the way. Where he literally, in the bar scene, he literally jumps up on the bar. And kills somebody with the spurs and, on his and boots. Slits the bartender's throat like, with the spurs <laughs> on his boots. You just got to lean into that. You can't half ass that because then it doesn't work. You have to go into this, it. This is not a subtle interior go. sort of acting that is called for here. It's all right there on front street for you pure, right like there's no in. no question about what his motives are and then you have homer oh jesus who i know as the bratty young brother from teen witch where he oh was, god i'd forgotten that <laughs> he was a gross and disgusting character there yeah and is similarly like just i know grimy. him from a movie that i think is on our list the river's edge mm-hmm. this is another keanu reeves you'll appreciate that mm-hmm. but it's it's at one of those dark squalid underbelly of small town yeah and he is like the creepiest kid in that, too. He's just a creepy kid. Yeah. And so is another, like, cautionary tale of turning children. They just end up fucked up because they're yeah. stuck in child bodies, but then they're, like, hundreds yeah, of is, years old. Yeah, this is Kirsten Dunst exactly. in they, it Interview just with a Vampire. Them up. Don't turn kids. Yeah. For any vampires listening. Leave the, let, let them grow up a just, little bit <laughs> so that... Hit puberty, right, maybe, at whole, least. That like... Cognitive dissonance it's really thing awkward. is just—it's it's hard for them. They're—they're they're struggling. So yeah, he's weird. Because uh, then late, late in the movie, he wants to like take he a wants wife. To, like take a wife, and so he picks the, the, the like, daughter, the small year little sister, sister, and it's just like, oh, this is fucked up. And then you feel bad, but you feel bad for him because you're like, I get it, <laughs> but this is bad. So don't turn vampire children. And we all know how the Kirsten Dunst thing—like she was just—yeah, no, that didn't work out it well went at all. Quickly. And so now you have Caleb being introduced into this family as May's sort of partner. Um, and I think Homer is upset with that because I believe Homer turned May. Right. And we have this other, as we mentioned, sort of thing of like he also wants a, a partner, but he's a child. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So this is the family that he's he's joined. So May, I don't know if you, I think you probably blocked this movie out, though we watched it for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the World According to Garp. Vaguely remember. Okay. Do you remember his slutty friend, Cushy? No. Okay. That's the slutty friend, Cushy? May. May is a slutty May is because I And halfway through the movie, I realized that because I was like, where the hell have I seen her She's slutty friend, Cushy. Before? Cushy was not much of a role. Okay. I was, I was more impressed with her in this movie. I was like, she's pretty good. Where have I seen her before? And I finally identified her as Cushy. Okay. Garp's slutty childhood friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> carry on. Yeah, so that's the family. And they are not what you would expect of, or like what we had seen to of date vampire of vampire clan. Of a vampire clan. Like, I don't even think they ever say the word vampire in this no, movie. No, I don't think the word is in the movie. I don't believe we see fangs at any point. Nope. Um, so no crosses, no garlic, right, none of that, that bullshit. All that sort of iconography around vampires is gone. There's no coffins. They sort of are sleeping in a Winnebago or they're sleeping in a hotel room. <laughs> or a factory or, or whatever. Or a factory. They're sort of squatting, basically, wherever they go. So this is one thing I liked about this movie. Okay. I don't think it has ever looked 
I can't think of another example less attractive to be a vampire. To be a vampire. Yeah. Even like the Lost Boys, which came out the same year, they were kind of living they still a pretty had a rough style too. To them. But they had a certain style, I mean, a certain they had, like, glamour. Dogs, they were sort of cur- like they were arguably cool. Yeah, sure. Nobody in this movie is cool. No one's cool. Everyone. Looks Nobody looks dirty. like they're having a good time. Like, I mean, Bill Paxton's having a good time, but like they just look like they smell. Yeah. And have just like lived a hard life. And they're just moving from shitty shit quarters to, to shitty shit quarters. And like all of the the sex and the glamour that has that sort of when you say vampire you think like they don't need to be vulgar they don't need to be particularly physical with their victims because it's like oh I can just look at you and woo and because I'm, right. it's very seductive right. and you'll just come to me and you know give no. yourself over to me and it'll be this beautiful glamorous thing and it's like no they, they got switchblades <laughs> and spurs and guns and well Homer does his little bit where he pretends right he fell off his bike he, to be lying in the yeah. road injured and then when someone comes to help the kid. He bites them. He bites them. Yeah. Like, yeah. So no, there's no, so there's no they're, seduction. They're there's a grimy no, bunch. Yeah. It's a hard scrabble. Yeah. So these are not the vampires you want to be. <laughs> it's a rough life. Okay. So is that where, to the extent that there is any kind of political subtext mm-hmm. or, you know, interesting themes going on in this movie, I feel like that is part of it, is that she's sort of, Bigelow is kind of demystifying. Mm-hmm de-romanticizing that whole lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And an extent of that is, I read, her original plan was not to make this a vampire movie. Her original plan, she wanted to do a revisionist Western. Okay. And, you know, she was told or she realized that Westerns were not commercially viable at that point. Mm -hmm. So she came up with this idea of doing this genre hybrid movie and make it about vampires. So it could have been a movie just about, I think, outlaws. Sure. Right? And kind of de-romanticizing the American myth about outlaws and how great it would be to be an outlaw, that kind of thing. I think that's part of what she's going for here, at least. Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting. Um, I think there is something to be said when you add the sort of vampire layer. And there are assumptions that we make about vampires just in terms of, like, class status, right? Of, like, typically... The Count, leaving in the castle. They're very, you know, cultured and effete and all, like, it's all these things. And if they need things, they can they can get things again, like, by their wives. Like, I can get money because all I have to do is, like, look, I can tell you to give me your money and I have money. And, you know, this idea that they don't have to live on the margins because they can very easily sort of slip into the, like, ways of living and respectability politics of an upper class, even though they have, like, there's this subversive thing underneath it right right and with this group there is none of that like it is all the ugliness of being a quote-unquote drain literally and figuratively on society like you are a parasite well that's why people refer to this as like a biker western and it's Mm -hmm. like they're not literally a motorcycle gang but that is kind of how they come across it's like you know, the low-life motorcycle gang that rolls into town and nobody's happy to see them and right. nobody wants them around and, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's interesting and this, like, the dichotomy between that and what Caleb and May, to a certain extent, were rejecting in, like, the quote-unquote normal conservative yeah. life of hardworking 
you know, we're farmers and we like we do all these things. Um, well, and this is too, I think, is where the Western thing is very deliberate mm-hmm. because we have the two archetypes of the Western of the outlaw and the cowboy. Yeah, he literally loses his hat as soon as he becomes a vampire. Yeah. They pull him into the RV and he loses his hat. He then doesn't wear his hat again until the end of the movie when he goes back to the farm and gets his magical blood transfusion, which we'll have to talk about yeah. later, and becomes human again. So yeah, that's the two the two dichotomies there yeah. of, of the the myth of the American West. Right. So to be fair, I think there are a lot of things happening in this movie. And when I think about it, I'm just like, why didn't I like it as much as I think I would have? And maybe it's because I just like... my. I like only lovers left. Alive. Like that's my vampire. That's the kind of vampire. I like vampires that read a lot and like hang out. See, so you like that cultural with, aesthetic. I do. I really do. Kind like, of vampire. I hang out with Christopher Marlowe. I in wear Tangiers. beautiful clothes. <laughs> like the clothes in this were not good enough for you. God no. Not aspirational. And they were just, they were just dirty, and it was it was, ugh. It was just yeah. <laughs> I like pretty vampires, but yes. So I think this idea of like okay, the myth. Particularly of, like, the American West, the idea of, like, manifest destiny and this, like, it was, quote-unquote, our sort of birthright to take the land, to farm the land, to reap from the the land, land. right? And that that became the definition, particularly of, like, masculinity. Mm -hmm. And you have a group of folks that are are sort of mocking that and, and laughing in the face of it and saying, isn't it more interesting and exciting to sort of live on the margins, and I think there's something to be said about the fact that, for the most part, all of the victims that we see are also people that are on the margins. Right. Um, they're not preying on not rich people in the suburbs. They're It's, you know, people in divey bars or, you know, there is one scene where Severin is pretending to be a hitchhiker and he gets into the truck with these two women one of whom is a young black woman who I recognize as Teresa Randall, the brilliant, amazing actress who has no lines and is just <laughs> sitting there sort of silently, waste, total waste of her yeah. talent. I was like, oh, that's Teresa Randall. So people should look up Teresa Randall's career and like go watch some of her films because she's actually really quite good. But the two people of color you see in the movie is Teresa Randall, who is a silent victim, and then the truck driver, who at least gets some lines and a little bit of characterization, but he becomes another victim. And then they have the orgy of violence that is that bar scene where they're killing, you know, the people that hang out at bars in bumblefuck nowhere. (laughs) Um, Shit kicker heaven, I believe is what Severin calls it. So it's this weird thing that I think some alternative, like communities fall prey to which is like you're like oh you know fuck the man fuck the society and yet the people that you're fucking are the people who are also right. being fucked you end by up society. preying on the people who are right <laughs> so it's like well you're not really doing a whole lot to change shit but i i don't i mean i don't think that they had a fucking ethos anyway um <laughs> the south lost as he said so yeah i mean it was interesting okay so that that brings us to and i think i quoted from this article earlier this is tammy oller in slate And she talks about how, you know, movies of the period were obsessed with black poverty and black crime and Mm -hmm. black gangs and all of that. And she says, Near Dark imagined that America's real vampires were poor Southern whites who saw themselves on the losing side of American history. Near Dark tapped into those below-the-surface fears that poverty and decline could harm whites in middle America, and that the infected are all the more monstrous because they don't look like what you'd expect. And then she goes on to say, rewatching Near Dark a few months after Charlottesville, 
In a media landscape obsessed with the cultural grievances of Trump's white working-class supporters, it's hard not to find Bigelow's vision of American vampirism particularly chilling and prescient. Mm. That might be going a little far for me, but I think it's there. It's I think there. that subtext sure. is there. Um, this you you keep calling them Confederate. <laughs> he had a lost con- cause. Confederate flag. <clears throat> uh, vampires. So it was like an emblem he was carrying this whole time. And how, we don't know how long he's been alive, but he's... Well, he, he said he fought for then, the South, right, right, so... But we don't know how long before that he was already right, that's true. very okay. old. So the idea that even after centuries of time, that was not something that he could let go of. It was still something that defined him. Mm-hmm. It was still informing how he moved through as if he was owed something that had been taken away. And so even with the gift of, gift, quote unquote, of sort of eternal life. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah, the South lost. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Time to move the fuck on, right? So <laughs> this, like, white grievance, I think there is class grievance. And, I, and this idea that even in death, because technically they are dead, the idea of, um, like, fraternity is so strong. Mm. So it's fraternity to a race and a way of thinking of, like, what is the natural order of things. You then have this fraternity of your, like, quote-unquote vampire family who are all aligned around this sort of idea of the order of things. And how sad that is that you could give someone all the time in the world, like, literally all the time in the world, and they're still there. Mm-hmm. They have not evolved in their thinking or even understanding of how, like, that idea of fraternity and identity fucked you over. Right. And it's fucking everybody over. And we like to put different faces on it. We like to say, oh, it's a, it's a black thing. Or it's, oh, it's about war on poverty. Or it's a war on crime. And it's, oh, it's immigrants. It's, a, it's not. No. It is a capitalistic structure that is bleeding all of us dry. Like, there's a scene where Caleb, because he's refusing to feed, has to feed off of May. Right. And so he's sucking at her wrist and they're standing in front of an oil rig that is sort of pumping oil <laughs> yes. yeah. out of the ground. Right. Yeah. So that it, like it's just like there is literally extraction of quote unquote blood from the earth. Yeah. The earth that these farmers rely on to, to survive and sustain themselves. That fast forward to now we know the plight of farmers. Right. Of any race, we know the plight of the, and so it's just like, so no, I don't know how much of this like Catherine Bigelow was thinking about, but I think well, I think maybe she did possibly because sure. we ended up having the same conversation with Point Break, if you remember, mm. like you went off on this whole thing about how it's this like critique of capitalism and all of that, and again, I think I remember as you were doing that, you felt like it was stupid because it because it Cause is really kind break. of a stupid movie. <laughs> A stupid action movie. Yes. But I do think it's there. I think this is sort of what's fascinating about her. Yeah. And I think I but like that and I hadn't even thought about that until now. I was just like, what what would that mean to live that long and still be trapped under this idea of what you're owed? Yeah. And not to become any kind of better person. Not to become any In kind fact, of become person. worse and worse, presumably. Or not even so. like not even to say, Oh, I'm gonna be like I need to be a better person, but like I know what's happening. Like you still don't even know what's happening. Mm-hmm. That's sad. Yeah. So I, I do think Ola is right about the sort of modern creature mm-hmm. that those vampires 
evoke mm-hmm. as, as we watch this movie now. Even to the point, like, Homer, like, that kid would be an incel troll. Like, that kid would be on the internet or making YouTube videos. Yep. Like, it's, it is, it's the same people. Yeah. And this is, so, let's talk about Kale. And to me, you talked about, like, because when you talk about this, it sounds like it's a brilliant movie that you should love. Right. You didn't quite love it, right? And so where's the break? That's what I think. And I'm not even blaming the actor. I sort of am. Although I will say, if this movie had starred Keanu Reeves, I think it would be <laughs> one of your favorite movies of all time. <laughs> you put Keanu in that role, you would be all over brilliant. this movie. Again, brilliant. I think that character is underwritten. Yeah. And I think he, in a way, he turns too quickly. Like, we don't, we never see, we don't even get to know who that guy is no. before he gets bitten. Um, except for that really Re- creepy scene yeah. in the truck where yeah. he, you know, mm-hmm. tries to extort playful rape, sexual favors yeah. out of May. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think, I think the whole movie hinges on us caring about what happens to him and whether he's going to, I mean, it's a choice. He's going to either turn evil and join this clan or he's got to reject them and go back to his mm-hmm. real family, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what he ends up doing. I think we're supposed to care about that a little more than I actually did. Yeah, I felt nothing for Caleb, yeah. really. I did, And yeah, I don't know if it's the actor, if he just didn't have a ton to do. Because everything seemed to be happening to him. And there isn't, for him, I don't, he doesn't have a lot of dialogue, really. No, not really. And so a lot of it is us projecting onto him, oh, he's like making a, he must be sort of deeply dissatisfied with his life on the farm. And so it, and it's just... So, yeah, I think making up a narrative, making around up a whole him. narrative around him that the script doesn't bring. And I don't think he necessarily right. brings either um, as an actor. And we assume he is good, that we he has this strong moral coil because he will not kill. I don't, he doesn't. Right. I'm not. He does not. No, he does not kill. And I don't think he even feeds no. on anyone. No, right. Just me. Nowhere in the movie does he actually feed on someone. No. So, yeah, we get that he has this strong moral code. Mm-hmm. But, like you said, it's not expressed, really, and he doesn't have a lot of dialogue. I mean, there's a moment when when they're in the bar and they have the fight where he finally, like, pushes back on a guy, on one of the bar patrons, and he's surprised by, like, his strength. He's like, oh, did I really do that? And there's a little bit of a moment of, like, oh, I'm more powerful right, than power, I was. Right. And I, the temptation so of there's that. a little bit of that, and then it sort of immediately just sort of goes away for the most part. It's just like, okay, Yeah. He's yeah. I just don't. I think everybody else around him was much more interesting. Mm-hmm. And I don't. And I don't think. At least I did not really buy the love story. Like yeah. May seems to fall. They very seem to fall quickly. in love with each other very quickly. Very quickly on very limited information yeah. about each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think for her, it's more about like she had someone that was close to her age, and they could sort of live through this life. Forever together. Pretty was he? Pretty? Did you find him? I didn't find him pretty. No? I mean, All he right. was. I mean, he's sure. I could. He's a dude in a movie, like that sort of attractive. <laughs> he's a mo- movie dude. He's movie dude attractive. <laughs> he was movie dude attractive, I guess. Um, but no, it, it, he wouldn't be someone for me. That's like, oh yeah. my god. Like, so no. Okay. Well, I mean, I do. I do think. Like, all of that subtext, all the thematic subtext, I think that is what elevates this movie a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, having said that, I still think my takeaways are, like, those great set pieces. Yeah. I think the scene in the bar, and then especially that motel room scene, are just brilliant. Yeah, they're really well done. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about the ending? 
That's <laughs> which which to me it it all kind of wraps up a little too neatly yeah. here. So somehow the Confederate redneck vampire clan <laughs> ends up at the same hotel that Caleb's father and sister are staying at because they've been out on the road looking for him. So right at the same hotel. Right. Homer spots the daughter, Sarah, Sarah the, da- the little and sister, immediately falls in love. He's and like, he's "Hey, like, how you doing? I have to have her." It's like I got color TV in my room. Um, She's my size. So it's so sad. It's like, I mean, it is, but it's all. I just he's so gross. He's very gross. He's very gross, but it's also like, oh, that's that's. I'm sad for you. Um. So he takes her back to the hotel room. She tells them where the dad is staying, and they obviously go get the father. And so every, they're all in the same hotel room. Caleb comes back with May and is like, you can't kill them. Like, this is my family. Yeah. And they're basically like, well, no, we're your family, and we're blah, blah, right. blah. Somehow they get away. And they're driving in the truck, and Caleb's in the back like, I'm in a bad way, man. Like, I can't. I don't feel well. This is not good. And the dad is sort of saying, you know, we'll take you to the hospital. He's like, yeah, nope. That's not. Not going to work. <laughs> not going to work here. That's not what's happening. Uh, so they take him back to the farm. His dad is like a, a, a vet. vet. And so he has all this medical equipment that he uses on, like, cows and shit. Um, so obviously <laughs> can do it on humans. So he takes him back to the farm and basically does a does a blood transfusion with his son. Yeah. So bad blood out, good blood in theory. Yeah, I do. Which? Pints and pints of blood. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Why? Yeah. It just, it wouldn't work. Um, But it magically clears out the vampirism. Which is a new twist on the vampire. man. Never never thought of that before. You you could could just just transfuse your way out of this fucked up situation. And maybe it only works like if you haven't fed. Like maybe once you've fed. Oh, now you're making, you're 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 too far gone now. You're too far gone. Okay, sure. No, because they they know that's right. That's that's right. right. Never mind that. Okay. So then he's he's clear, Scientology term. Um, puts his hat back on. Gets his cowboy hat back on. Back on the farm. And then that period is the one that bothers me most. Because they are just like completely right? acting like everything is normal. Just eating dinner. Like, yeah. Like, oh, that was weird. But hey, yeah. back, we're back to normal now. Cows. I don't know how much time goes. The fuck is going on? No one's asking any questions about what your son has been through nope. for the past however long this has been nope, happening. No, nope. we're not talking about the fact that we just discovered vampires exist. He came in the home world. with the DDTs and no one has <laughs> any questions. So, May comes, she comes to the farm and wants him back, realizes that he's now human again. Mm hmm. She's like, oh, you're warm. Um, you're warm. In the meantime, Homer has somehow gotten into the house and stolen Sarah out of her bedroom. Yeah. And they are driving off with her. Caleb gets on his horse and is yep, like full on The full cowboy, reclamation of the cowboy archetype. All there. Chases after the car. May gets like this moment of consciousness because she's in the car and she stops Homer from biting Sarah. And then is somehow able to get Sarah out of the car and they're running towards Caleb. Homer gets out of the car and is running after them and is just burning to a crisp because it's daylight and it's it really is trash. <laughs> <laughs> you you feel way more for Homer than I do. Because if he that kid just fault. grossed me out. He was gross, but he's a child in like a like, two hundred. Do you know what it feels like to be a big man inside in a little and a little body? <laughs> and it's just like, oh, that is fucking sad. Oh, no, it's not. Um, That's some incel bullshit. But yeah, but he dies. Um, okay, so. Again, uh, bringing logic to some places. Sure. He and May are running down the same road. Yes. In the same sunlight. Yes, she does not burst. He bursts completely into yeah. flames and dies. Yeah. 
she makes it with just like a little bit of smoldering. I'm yes. not sure what the difference is there. Love. I forgot, forgot about, about the love. I forgot about the love. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least earlier in the movie, Caleb had thrown like a blanket yeah, over him to move in fire. sunlight. Yeah. yeah. Which is something Buffy the Vampire Slayer stole <laughs> 10 years later with Spike used to walk around Sunnydale with a blanket over his head smoldering like that. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so, Homer is. A Homer's big, dead. Homer explodes, basically. Yes. Diamondback and Jesse are in the car and they are also starting to smolder because they haven't, they weren't able to sort of block out all the windows in the car. Right. And they basically drive off into a fiery death and that car explodes and they die. And so Caleb takes May back to the farm and does a transfusion on her. She wakes up in the daylight and is freaking out. He's like, it's totally okay. You're fine. Like you don't have to worry about it. It's just sun. And she's like, I'm scared. And then that's it. That's the end yeah, of the movie. We freeze frame. With her looking petrified <laughs> and him like, oh, it's going to be all great. So is this a happy ending? Uh, not to the extent that, like, she did not choose that. She never said. Uh, mm, do we she? know that? I mean, we don't see her say, yes, I want to not. But be she's done. not, like, unconscious when they bring her back to the farm. She's not unconscious, no. So presumably she agreed to this. We just didn't see we that see scene. It. Okay, sure. Yeah, so you said the ending was a bummer, and I was wondering why. Yeah. Why I just thought, thought it was, was an easy, and maybe that was because, like, that requires me to buy into the fact that, like, okay, through a transfusion, we can just fix all of this. Yeah, no, I didn't buy that part um, either. And I, did, I, have, I think I struggled with that a little bit. And it was also a very, for something that seemed to be playing with this idea of sort of bucking the norm and fighting against American ideals of, like, family and hardworking and what you're supposed mm. to do, we now end with... No, we return right to the nuclear family. We're no longer, yeah, Mm -hmm. vampires, and we're going to be together and live happily on this farm and have babies and presumably sure thing. It's like okay, sure. (laughs) You think May is going to get bored after about two weeks? I would. Yeah. I yeah. Or it can be you know like that whole countercultural generation that like went to Woodstock and was like oh fuck them in and they ended up all at banks. Yuppies and yeah. yeah. (laughs) So maybe that's just how it goes. So. Yeah, I was just like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. Okay, so we, we we talked about the various thematic things we were pulling from this. As several articles have pointed out, at the time, people wouldn't have been thinking about all of that. Mm-hmm. The vampire metaphors in the late 80s would have been drugs mm-hmm. and AIDS. Mm-hmm. Is, is there any of that going on here? I mean, I definitely think there's the drugs there. They, they never say vampire. Right. And the way that Caleb is, like, he looks like someone going through withdrawal. For right. In fact, in the film. bus station... They think he's on drugs. Right. They're like, what are you on, yeah. son? So I think, yes, definitely this, like, idea of, like, oh, you're on drugs. And I think that's what his dad thinks, even when he picks him up from a hotel room full of people who... That's not drugs. Um, <laughs> who you shoot that... <laughs> he, he shoots Jesse the in the belly. Oh, that's cocaine. And no. Jesse spits out no, the No, that's not cocaine. <laughs> So, but it's still, I think it's still thinking like, oh, my, my son's on drugs. He's falling in with the wrong crowd and he's on drugs. Um, so I think that that's what's going on there. Okay. Not so much the AIDS metaphor. I, I mean, we got the blood transfusion in the yeah, end, which. This... Maybe. Okay. I can see. Yeah, I guess. To me, it read more like drugs, but okay. I guess that could be part of that. Sure. This is like Greg in there. So yeah, sure. Could be. Yeah. Right. All right. All right. Anything else? Anything we haven't talked about? Any favorite bits we haven't mentioned? Bill Paxton was a delight, as always. I mean, he's he was amazing in it. I hate him when they ain't been shaved, he says. <laughs> he was having a good time the whole time. 
which I appreciate. His death scene was very Terminator. Like that was. Yeah, I mean, he hit him with a semi truck. Right, and, and then, then he, he crawls up, up the up hood of the, the truck, and then like and half his into face the, is yeah, off. Yeah, but he's still was, terminating. It was a good scene, and then his like little piece of his spur just falls through the air <laughs> and lands on the ground. It's very poetic. Is that the word? Yes, you're comfortable using poetic. All I right, am. all right, sure, I guess. Okay, so your final verdict on Near Dark. I am glad we watched it. I I needed to fill this gap in my late 80s vampire movie, mm-hmm. you know, viewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do you what do you think? Um, yeah, it was good. <laughs> I really like when I talk about. It, I was like, I should like this movie more. I don't know why I don't. Um, and maybe it is the Caleb aspect of it. Yeah, I thought it was good. I'm I'm glad I watched it. I still prefer. You know, only lovers left alive. Only lovers left alive. But ooh, I collect guitars. He's in, he's in like the rundown house in Detroit. It's very, <laughs> it's good, very good. So you would not want to join this Hell vampire no. clan? Broke ass, dirty, racist <laughs> vamp. No. Like they they didn't even have money. Like they could have. That's been what staying. I'm saying. You've been alive for. At least 200 years, you could have put aside a little Just, nest egg. Yeah, you could no. be staying Why in nice places. Why would you want to places. live forever? Living forever meant you were constantly having to hustle like that. Are yeah, like, no, no, that's exhausting. No, thank you. Yeah. Stealing shit cars in a Winnebago? <laughs> no. So you would rather join, like, the Lost And boys. fucking go some Pacific Northwest where it's a little less sunny. And you're also just... That's true. What the fuck are you doing in Arizona? It's fucking too sunny, Out man. Out in the desert where there too are no trees. fucking sunny. <laughs> so, No. Mm-mm. It rains like 250 days a year in Seattle. Go to Seattle. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so vampire-wise, Lost Boys, is that your, your vampire? I don't know. No. No. Are those my two choices, Lost Boys or this? <laughs> That's unfortunate. Those are your 1987 choices, yes. <laughs> Neither. I'll just be victim number five. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with either of those groups. The black character with no lies. Exactly. I will be uh, Teresa Randall, please. Thank you. <laughs> That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as the Unenthusiastic Critics Halloween Movie Marathon continues. Nakia, when we did the Unenthusiastic Critic for the blog, we watched, I think it was our very first Halloween Marathon, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. The first year of the podcast, we watched George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Next week, I think we are going to round out the original zombie trilogy with George Romero's Day of the Dead from 1985, which I have never seen. Okay. You really liked both of I those enjoyed, yeah. other movies. Yeah. And this, I think, is considered the third best <laughs> of the zombie movies. Okay. So I don't I don't know how much further below Dawn of the Dead but or it is the other two mm-hmm. it is. We, we will find out. Okay. It's not as well regarded, I know, but I, I still think, I gotta I gotta feel like it's it's gonna have some worthwhile stuff in it. Okay. Maybe nothing quite as good as the helicopter mm. decapitation scene that was your favorite scene it's from Dawn classic. of the Dead. Yeah, that takes me back. In the meantime, you can follow us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com where you can download earlier episodes, leave us a comment, 
or make a donation to support the show. <laughs> we encourage you to suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. Maybe that should be a thing, like our favorite death from the movies that we watched during Halloween, or like favorite injuries. Okay, give it to me. I mean, the Spurs was that was pretty. It's going to be hard to beat that. It's, it's hard to because it's just I, I didn't even think about one. I don't think Spurs are typically that sharp. No, they're not generally an offensive weapon either. That's it's it's a really like that's hard. The angle, the angle, of that, like it takes a gracefulness. To like twist your foot around. Yeah, you got to be in real the right way to slit somebody's throat with the spur on the back of your heel. So that's pretty good. Though I did also like. When the waitress was coming with the beers, and he was like, "Take the beer, leave the glass," and you're like, "Oh yeah, that." No, and then that they was cut good. her throat, and then and just drained her drain throat into, into the, the glass. glass. That was pretty, you know, that's good. So yeah, maybe, maybe those two, <laughs> pretty good. Okay, well, maintain that new tradition. So each week we'll we'll discuss that. Good idea. Kill of the week. Kill of the week. Yes.